Good morning, Crosswalk. So good to be back together this morning with you. I've been trying to tame my energy all morning because if you don't know this already about me, I'm what they call an extrovert. So being, you know, locked into my house for, you know, a week and a half doesn't bode well for me. So I'm like a, a plant that's been in the dark and just brought out into the sun and I'm just, see? And I'm just excited. I'm just excited to be here. Uh, you know, I hope and pray you survived the craziness. If you have lived in Oregon for any length of time, you know how rare it is for the weather to last like that for that long. Um, and so it was crazy. It was weird. We had friend, our, our, one of our worship leaders, Sharika, had two trees fall right in front of her house. Scary. Everything's okay. But um, some free firewood, apparently, uh, if you need any. Um, but also, uh, I, I hope that you were unscathed uh, you're, as a person. I know that we have healthcare leaders in our community who were telling me that there was one day last week where there was 180 ED visits because of falls. 38 fractures, just craziness. I hope your car was unscathed. Um, and I just want to send a special thank you to Pastor Lydia and her husband Zach for making the crawl over here from their apartment last Friday. If you were anything like me, I think I said this on my podcast that like I, every day last week I was saying, don't worry, tomorrow will be warmer. You know, and then Friday hit here and it was just a skating rink out there and we have yet to release our crosswalk skates. So, we didn't feel it was safe to come, but a, a walk that usually takes Pastor Lydia and Zach five minutes to get here took them 30, and then they had to go back. Bless their hearts. So anyway, it is so good to be back together. We are rejoicing. All is as it should be, and we're so glad you're here. Thank you for trusting us with your time. Uh, we do not take that for granted. We are in our fourth week of our sermon series entitled New Wine, and it's crazy to me because Technically, I haven't really, I haven't had a chance to preach in this series. Yes, I recorded a sermon last week. I put it, we put it up on our podcast, but I don't know if you people listen to those things. So it feels like my first time speaking. I do hope you're able to tune in to Crosswalk Worship Online. Like Miranda says, we always want to be together, but when we can't, we are so blessed to have great online worship. Um, but Pastor Tim's messages over the last few weeks have been so good and so rich and so gracious and so spirit-filled in talking about new wine and new wineskins versus old wine and old wineskins and talking about the possibility of refreshing old wineskins. Um, even though biblically Jesus was talking about new wine, that he actually lived a life that modeled trying to refresh the old wineskins. And then moving our metaphor into talking about the vine and the vineyard, which he did last week. He got through the entire passage of John 15, 1 through 11. I did not. And so I'm going to bridge a little bit from this series and the, the vine and the vineyard and move us into what we're going to spend our time finishing the series talking about. Um, so in John 15, Jesus speaks to the disciples on the night before his arrest and his crucifixion. So all of John 14, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are really looked at as the last discourse of Jesus, or you could look at it as his dying words. And when someone is dying, you lean in and listen because they say the things that really matter most. Um, so I'm not going to go through the whole, uh, all of the verses. Again, if you want to dig deeper into any of it, listen to Pastor Tim's message from last week 
or go onto our podcast, Crosswalk Portland, uh, and listen to mine or listen to Pastor Days from Chattanooga at Crosswalk. You can do a 360 of this text. It's so cool and it's so fun. And then, of course, we have the, the podcast, uh, The Sacred Echo, which is getting a little more fun. If anybody is listening to it, we're, we're making more fun of each other, which I think is a good, it's a good space to be in. Um, but also having some good conversations. So um, let me start with a part of the passage that says this. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now in this series, we've moved from the metaphor of the new wine and the new wineskins to the metaphor of the vine and the vineyard. Uh, Jesus actually has several I am statements in uh, the Gospel of John. Um, Did I go backwards in that? I don't know. Maybe? Yeah. Um, And... uh, but in this, I am statement's a little bit different because he has a role and God has a role. Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener, God cares for the vineyard, and we are the branches that are to remain in the vine in order to do what we were created to do, which is to bear fruit. And we talked about how though some mistake the fruit that Jesus talks about in this passage for what happens when you personally lead another person to Jesus, but that actually what Jesus is talking about in fruit in this passage is the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul labeled in Galatians when he said, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. When we remain connected to Jesus, these fruits are produced in us. Jesus' language of growth to an aggregate culture must have resonated because they use this language all throughout their writings. There are other places, like in Colossians, we find Paul saying, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Again, in Ephesians, Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So, when we are connected to the vine and our roots grow deep into the life and teachings and person of Jesus, then the natural outcome is fruit or growth. Jesus said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. It's often said that your true nature, who we are on the inside, is best seen in times of crisis or chaos. If you want to know how connected you are to the vine, you can look at how you respond when your world is falling apart. Or who are you when your beliefs or ideologies are challenged or under attack? Do you get defensive? Do you lash out? 
Do you fight fire with fire, or are you able to stay calm, breathe, and respond thoughtfully, thoughtfully with love and compassion? God made us to produce fruit, and in order to produce fruit, good fruit, lasting fruit, we must remain connected to the vine. So let's talk about what it means to remain. In John 15, it's interesting, the Greek word for remain is actually used 11 times, in theory, yep, 11 times in John 15, 40 times in the entire Gospel of John, and another 27 times in John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So this analogy, this connection, this metaphor was important to John, so important that it spilled over into everything he remembered about Jesus, everything he wrote about Jesus, which makes sense to us, right? Because if you look at John's life, three and a half years learning from Jesus, um, that during that time he went from being a stubborn, impulsive, abrasive, likely foul-mouthed fisherman that was known as a son of thunder to being remembered as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John learned to remain with Jesus and live that life even in the most difficult of circumstances. For when it seemed like his world was falling apart, where do we find John? He was the only one who ended up at the foot of the cross with Jesus, the only disciple. And when the tomb was reported empty that following Sunday morning, John ran as fast as he could so he could get back to remaining with Jesus. Because for John, nothing in this life mattered more to him than remaining in Jesus because nothing in this life changed him more than remaining in Jesus. Now, Jesus did seem to have harsh words for those who chose not to remain. The scripture says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. We have to remember that God designed us to produce fruit. He wants us to produce fruit, but he doesn't force any of us. We can choose to remain or we can choose to leave. And though this part of the passage may sound harsh, there is good news to be found. Pastor Tim talked about the allusion to a hell or the concept of a hell in this passage. I'll leave that for him if you want to listen. But I want to talk about the good news found in this passage. So I don't know about you, but when I read through this, when I reflected on this, I thought back to times in my life, in my spiritual life especially, where I felt useless. Or I felt like I was just going through the motions. I've never chosen to walk away from God, but I have certainly drifted slowly over time in a season of life. But here is what I've learned over the years, that even if we choose to leave or we drift away or we just feel like we're taking up space, God never gives up on his children. Never. Just look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans. He says, and if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree, or in this case, the vine. God always has been, always is, and always will be a God of love who is always chasing after us. And though sometimes we feel otherwise or we're told otherwise, I don't believe God ever gives up on his children he wants to help each and every one of us produce fruit, but who, uh, to, to be who we were created to be, to grow into the person he sees when he looks our way. 
So let's bring this idea home a little bit for us. The child of ours who walked away from the church and on the way tossed their faith in God out the window. God never gives up on them. Our spouse who thinks this Christianity thing is silly, God hasn't given up on them either. Our friend who is trapped in addiction and can't seem to find the light of day, God never gives up on his children. Maybe we shouldn't give up on them either. And know this, God isn't trying to prove to them that he's right and they're wrong. He's simply trying to prove to them that he's real, that the story is true, and that they are loved more than they can possibly imagine. So if you or a loved one feels cut off, withering, know that God is not giving up on you. Please don't give up on him. And note, this idea of remaining may sound easy, almost effortless. The Greek word for remain is meno, which can also mean to abide or to simply stay. But in order to remain, we actually have to choose not to leave, right? Sounds pretty simple, pretty easy, one of those duh moments. But it's like marriage, uh, to use another metaphor. When, when Trish and I got married, it was a beautiful day full of our friends, our family, my long flowing kilt, and my incredibly sexy legs. I don't know how many of your other pastors you hear that says the word sexy from up front, but this one does. Okay, I'm just trying to be honest. Um, oh, and then the bagpipe player, whose name I remember to this day because it was Ogden Kimberly, as his name is perfect. Um, and uh, it was a great day. We had so much fun. Um, but on that day, we made vows to each other, as happens at weddings. We promised to be there for each other in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, for richer or poorer, definitely poorer. Um, you know, I often joke with the fact that I knew I was going to be a pastor, so I married a social worker for the money. <laughs> uh, hasn't worked out <laughs> so well. Um, but... Um, Anyway, and, and, and so through all of life, we have promised to be there for each other. And those vows that we took on our wedding day are not things that you just say once and then you're done. Those are vows you agree to each and every day of your life. You continue to commit. You continue to remain. You continue to stay. And you do that when things are incredibly good. It's easy to say yes, right? When Trisha brings me and surprises me with Chipotle and a Jamba Juice, and a Blue Star Donut, those are easy days for me to say, yes, I am going to remain. And then there are the tough days, like when she doesn't bring me those things. Um, no, but they're the tough days of the struggle, the things that we have a harder time with. And on those days, it's harder to say uh, yes, but that's the promise we've made. And as we continue to say yes, as we continue to remain, the fruit of intimacy grows in us as our love deepens for one another. This is what it means to remain. What's interesting about the spiritual life, though, is that it's actually easier to remain when things are hard because we know how much we need Jesus just to get through another day. It's actually harder for us oftentimes to remain when things are good because we forget where the good comes from. We forget that we need to continue to rely on him 
but we need to remain. So how do we remain? What does it look like to remain in Jesus? And this will be our continued focus for the rest of the series. And next week, we'll actually talk about the tools and the disciplines for remaining. But the word we typically use to describe the process of remaining is discipleship which comes from the word disciple. To disciple is to be a student or follower of a teacher, in our case, Jesus. To begin, we'll look at two different invitations Jesus gave in the New Testament, two different asks, if you will. To his disciples, it was a simple line. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. It may have been a simple line, but there was so much more going on here than we realized. So I want to paint the picture and give you the context. The Israelites took the education of their children seriously. We also try to do that here at Crosswalk, is take the education of our children seriously. Today, our kids, 0 to 14, are having uh, what uh, teacher Megan, our leader of Crosswalk Kids, called snow day, which I know for the rest of us is PTSD. We don't want to think about snow, but it's going to be great for them. They're going to have a great time. But we take that seriously because we want our kids to grow to know and love and follow Jesus. So I would be remiss if I didn't use this opportunity to put a plug in for our kids program because we need volunteers. We need people that are willing to help show our kids what it means to know and to love and follow Jesus. I mean, we need volunteers in all of our areas. We, we don't have our specialty coffee today because we need more baristas. Um, but the, um, for our kids' sake, and I know for some it's crazy to think about, like, what can I do in front of kids? Like, we'll give you everything you need to go and do a craft with the kids or to go and teach a story or to go and, and, and share something. But but we just ask that you get involved and volunteer. You can scan the Next Steps QR code on there and, and get involved in what this community is about. We would love to have you, especially for our kids. But uh, in Jesus' time, children at the age of six were invited into what they called Bet Sefer, which is House of the Book. And for four years, from six to ten, the children in Bet Sefer would memorize the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized. I can't tell you what the verse of the Bible was for today that came up on my app that I looked at, but they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. It's crazy. At 10, if you were a good enough student and you showed promise, you'd be invited to the next level of your education, which was called Bet Talmud, or House of the Learning. Okay, so in Bet Talmud, you would go on to memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, all 39 books memorized, right? Obviously, this was different times. The oral traditions, you have to remember that not everybody had their own copy of the Bible. The printing press wasn't, you know, invented until the 1400s. It was a big deal if a village actually had their own scroll of the Bible. And it's important for us to think about that because people didn't just read their Bible in a vacuum all by themselves. They read it together in community. They studied together in community. That's what we were meant for. Jesus didn't call one disciple. He called 12 because we're meant to do this together. It's very dangerous when somebody is off on their own in a vacuum reading through scripture and making their own conclusions. But in Bet Talmud, if if you didn't show enough promise at 10 to continue into Bet Talmud, you could go into the family business. So whatever your family was involved in, you would go into that, like fishing, for example. So if you weren't good enough to continue, then you'd go into the family business. 
Students in Bet Talmud would also begin to learn the art of questions and the oral tradition surrounding the text. So they would memorize the text, but then they would also learn what other people were saying about the text and what other conclusions people were coming to and how to apply that text to their life, how to live it out. So um, by the age of 14 or 15, at the end of Bet Talmud, only the best of the best students would continue their education. Everyone else was now, was by then, by 15, they were in the family business if they weren't the best of the best. And, and so in the family, they, they'd be in the family business, they'd start their own families by the age of 15 because they weren't good enough to continue their formal education. The final level of schooling for the best of the best, the top gun of the Hebrew tradition, tradition was called Bet Midrash, House of the Study. So at this level, a student would go to a rabbi they admired, somebody they looked up to, someone who they wanted to emulate, and they would ask if they could follow that rabbi. It was up to the student to ask the rabbi. Then the rabbi had to look them over and decide if that student had enough potential to take on their name because they would forever be known as the disciple or student of so-and-so. And they had to decide if they could actually do what the teacher was teaching. So, in a world like this, you find people like Peter, Andrew, James, and John already in the family business because no rabbi saw potential in them to continue learning. They weren't seen as good enough until one day when this Jesus, a rabbi, turns the tables and comes to them while they are tending their nets and says, come, follow me. Jesus is willing to risk it all on them. Author Rob Bell reflects in his book, Velvet Elvis, when he says, Jesus calls the not good enoughs. He took some boys who didn't make the cut and changed the course of human history. Right? Oh, I love that. I love Bell's conclusion uh, when it comes to Jesus' call to his disciples, to them and to us. Because you see Jesus' invitation, the next, next ask is to all of us, as we'll see in a few moments. But about this call and about this God, Bell writes, I have been told that I need to believe in Jesus, which is a good thing, but what I am learning is that Jesus believes in me. I have been told that I need to have faith in God, which is a good thing, but what I am learning is that God has faith in me. Our rabbi thinks we can be like him. It's, it's just mind-blowing, really, to think that Jesus believes in us, has faith in us, and he calls us to follow him, represent him, and carry his name. And he is ever so proud when someone takes notice that we are students of Jesus. So think about this from the perspective of Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Why do you think they were so quick to drop their nets and leave the family business? Because Jesus believed in them. Jesus didn't look past them, and he gave them an opportunity. And why did Matthew leave his tax collector table without question? Because Jesus believed in him, and he believes in us for these 12 disciples, they spent three and a half years with Jesus and they learned from him what the scriptures meant, which Jesus could teach better than anyone because he was there, right? 
Jesus taught his disciples, lived with his disciples, and showed the disciples how to remain with God. And how were they to remain with God? By following Jesus. Then Jesus extends his invitation to you and to me as we find in another well-known passage that reads, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus began with another simple ask. Come to me. This is a relational invitation, but it's also communal, as I said. Jesus didn't call one, he called 12. He doesn't just call an individual, he calls a church. We are to follow him together, for he alone is the word made flesh. We are to study his teaching, or his yoke, together and partner with him in this thing called life, remaining rooted in him all the days of our lives. This is what it means to disciple, to follow. And we are to follow closely enough that we can't help but be like Jesus. In biblical times, it was once said that you should follow your rabbi so closely that you cover yourself with the dust from your rabbi's feet. There's an old story I came across uh, in the Hebrew tradition that actually said there was a uh, student of a rabbi who followed so closely, he went in, followed his, his rabbi into the bathroom. That may be too close. I don't think that's necessary. But we, also, we see this kind of thing in biblical times where they would follow him sometimes too closely. Um, they, there was a story of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who wanted to reach out and touch Jesus' garment. She had to get through a crowd of people to get to Jesus. Why? Because, yes, there were onlookers who were wanting to see what Jesus would do next, but the disciples were close enough to get Jesus' dust on their feet. This is how they follow, and I too want to follow Jesus so closely that I get his dust on my feet. I want to see how he cares for the widows, the outcasts, and the lonely, and then try to do the same. I want his words to soak so deep into my bones that they come out in my conversations with others. I want my faith so rooted in him that even in times of crisis, I can respond with grace and wisdom with the love of Jesus. I want Jesus to be my everything, my all in all. Last week, Pastor Tim shared that the word for religion in the Latin is the word religare, which means to bind. As followers of Jesus, we are to be bound to him and him alone. And though I'd love to spend more time unpacking Jesus' invitation for us to follow him in the Matthew passage for today, I'll simply share with you a paraphrase of the passage that I think represents it really well. Eugene Peterson's version of this text is one of my favorites. He captures, I believe, the meaning behind Jesus' words. And as I read it, I want you to listen and see if you can find yourself in these words, if you can hear the call of Jesus in these words, and maybe if you listen close enough See if you can even hear the longing of your heart to say yes to Jesus in these words. You can even close your eyes if you want to, but this is what Peterson writes and how he translates. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. 
Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Learning to live freely and lightly in the unforced rhythms of his grace. I hope you'll come back and join us next week as we talk about the tools we need to learn to walk freely and lightly in the unforced rhythms of his grace because at Crosswalk in this space, we want to be the people of the new wine, people bound to Jesus, people that follow him so closely that we get his dust on our feet. We want to live within his love so much in this place that as we leave worship each week and gathering together each week, we may leave more able to love well like our rabbi, Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, Jesus, Spirit, thank you so much for the invitation, for believing in us, having faith in us that we could follow you, emulate you, be like you, love like you, live like you, be joyful and peaceful like you, to be a change agent like you. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you that you partner with us in that. You don't send us off on our own, that you want to just journey with us day in and day out as we wrestle with what that means and what that looks like in our lives. Reading your scriptures, spending time in prayer, confessing, confessing and serving and all of those things that are meant to help us remain. Continue on that journey with us. May we here in Portland follow you so closely. We have your dust on our feet. May we learn to love well, and may that happen in all of our crosswalk communities, all of your churches around this world, so when we leave this place and these gatherings, more and more people would come to see you for who you really are, a God who believes in us, a God who loves us, a God who is on our side, and a God who wants to spend eternity with us. May we enter into that space and follow you remaining all the days of our lives. In your precious and holy name, I pray these things. Amen and amen.